Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, it's Pastured Pig Podcast time again. So glad you all decided to listen to yet another episode. Uh, quick updates that we have going on here at Red Tool House. Uh, really just getting ready for winter, uh, trying to prepare for the uh, cold weather that's coming. I've got a uh, project, as all of us do, we always have projects to work on, but building out a farrowing barn. Uh, so probably this week we'll be making a lot of sawdust fly on the mill. Uh, my son and one of my sons and I, we skidded logs um, last weekend. We uh, put a bunch of Virginia pine on the ground. I think we have about 15 good saw logs to try to mill up uh, this weekend in, in, in preparation of using that for the stall walls and siding of our uh, farrowing barn, which is currently just a, a roofed shed right now, what I would call the tractor shed where we used to park the tractor. So that'll be uh, that'll be the task at hand. A lot of work going on there. Well, um, before we get into our interview, I just wanted to uh, ask you all. I appreciate the reviews and the comments that we've gotten so far, uh, but if I could uh, trouble you all to to go give us a review, uh, give us a rating. If if you don't have time to write a review, just give us a rating. I think right now we've got about twenty ratings. I'd love to see us. Uh, get to 50 by the end of the year if possible. That would obviously help uh, people find uh, out more about us and, and pop up on other people's radar. I'd love to have uh, people learning more about pastured pigs from you all uh, and not just us that are obviously directly related to the uh, to the business. It'd be neat to find some of the fringe people that are maybe more homesteading or uh, small farming, but they just don't see the benefits of pastured pigs yet. Uh, so that would be a good way for people to find out more about us. So please, if you don't mind, go to you, whoever you're using for your podcast feed. Give us a review. Uh, give us a rating. That would really help. Okay, to uh, tonight we have Chris Matthews from Coyote Creek Ranch, and he's down in Missouri. And uh, Chris has an interesting story, as as all of us do. Uh, he's dealing with 20 acres of, of really rough ground, a ground that has no topsoil, and he's using polyculture with uh, his livestock to really build soil. And it's neat to, to hear him talk about that. I think he's got a good plan going on there. So we're going to dive in and let uh, Chris tell his story. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I am so glad uh, people take the time to listen. And I really appreciate all the feedback we've been getting uh, these um, recent episodes. Uh, tonight, I have another good guest, no surprise, uh, just uh, just getting hitting home runs every single time I get somebody on here, so good stuff here. Tonight, I have Chris Matthews from Coyote Creek Ranch in Missouri, uh, so welcome, Chris. Thanks, Troy. All right, well, glad you could uh, join us uh, in Missouri. That's, uh, that's an hour behind me, I believe it, are you guys Central Time? Yes. We're central time. Okay, all right. So uh, how are things in Missouri right now? Are they wet, hot, dry, or cold? Well, we got a little bit of rain yesterday, and it kind of helped things cool off because it was hot and humid before that. Yeah, yeah. We're getting, we're finally getting rain after a long drought spell, so we appreciate that. 
All right. Well, definitely. Well, give us, uh, give uh, me and my uh, our listeners here a kind of a forty thousand foot elevation view uh, discussion of your uh, your farm. What what's going on there at Coyote Creek? Well, we've actually started this about three years ago um, with Nubian dairy goats and then Berkshire show pigs, and then transitioned into the pastured pig and private label in our meat and we also do pasture raised chicken eggs and uh katahdin hair sheep to sell lamb as well hmm. on uh 20, 20 acres here in the ozarks in stover missouri okay okay that's that's a pretty uh, eclectic uh, variety of animals you have there well, the I had the Nubian dairy goats for years and showed them, and and the dream was to have a creamery, and we hopefully will someday, and you know make artisan goat cheese and whatnot. And my fiance Connie, she had the Berkshires um, as four H show pigs, and so we just kind of blended blended families together and blended animals together, and there you go. it's taken off from there. All right. So, uh, what's your experience, uh, uh, both of you? What, what experience do you all have in, in farming prior to this? Well, uh, believe it or not, I was raised actually raised in Kansas City, Missouri. Hmm. Um, always been into horses and cattle. Bought a horse before I bought a car when I was sixteen. Uh, got out of school, went to MU for animal science. Um, went out west worked on big ranches that uh most people just can't fathom how big they were two three four million acre type big um you know kind of got burnt out on that and come back to missouri because i had had um had a daughter and we wanted to be closer to parents you know for grandparents to help raise a kid and stuff like that so um Anyway, that's what brought me back here to Missouri, and then I worked on a, uh, so I had managed and was cow boss or whatever at various ranches and whatnot, and then a lot of farming back here in Missouri, obviously, and I got onto a 2000 sow, um, strictly farrowing operation. We shipped about 800 to 900 baby pigs a week that I managed it at 15 15 employees underneath me and uh, we also farmed and had cattle and stuff but that was about the time that uh, Connie and I got together and she'd always like I mentioned before always had the 4-H show pigs and with her kids and that uh, kind of set the set the ball rolling really um, we had a really good she always had Burks from a local breeder that was close by that she got her her show pigs from and we had one that we did really good with it you know county fairs and state fairs so we kept it decided to breed it and and uh i went to a um intensive grazing school for my place because this this farm we had purchased had been really overgrazed by commercial cattlemen and just stripped it bare it was basically basically bare dirt and rocks mm. So that's the only thing we grew were rocks and acorns. So <laughs> what better for pigs and goats, really? Right, exactly. Um, so we, you know, that's kind of what started us down the regenerative ag path and 
and holistic management and all that. And I definitely didn't like the the looks and and um, you know protocol of a of a confinement pig operation. Yeah. So. So yeah, that's just kind of what got this all started. We bred that first sow and then got invited to a farmer's market when I was, ironically enough, at the uh, intensive grazing school for the NRCS. Um, the guy that we toured his farm said, we need you at the farmer's market. We don't have a pork guy. So that's kind of what really jump-started it all and been doing it for three years now. And so here we are. Yeah. Now, so are you are you doing this full time? Are both of you full time, or do you have uh, all farm jobs? Um, ironically, I I'm doing it full time, but I have an off off farm job as well. But the off farm job is another farm doing the same thing that raises grass fed cattle, pastured poultry, and lamb, hmm. um, just on a lot bigger scale than us. So. That's cool. So you can so obviously, I, uh, yeah, practice what you learn in, in both both areas. There, I assume. Then. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, sounds like Connie brought the uh, the love of the Berkshire with her. So is that why you guys decided to go into Berkshire? And and it's my understanding, looking at your website, you guys uh, have your Berkshires registered. Yeah, we do. Um, it, it was kind of a convenience thing for her because we had another local breeder in the next town over that had had Burks. Um, but I'm kind of a numbers and performance guy. So when I really got into it and started studying, cause she had showed spots and a few crossbreds and stuff as well. But when I really started studying it and researching it, the Burks were that closest in between of a heritage breed that had the data to back them up. Hmm. So, you know, the, the numbers are there for, for me. As far as you're saying, as far as yield and production and feed conversion, all that, that that's what you're looking at. Right, right. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. But then still, still an old time, you know, I think the Burks are the oldest breed in, if I remember my facts right there, somebody will probably fact check me and correct me, <laughs> but I think they're the oldest registered breed in, in America anyway, but, uh, okay. But yeah. So we, I so, can go back and use a little bit of English blood, you know, old English blood lines with the modern show lines and and the meat quality lines and just a nice blend of it all and still still have EPDs and pedigrees there to back everything up. So, yeah. Do you see, uh, so, so not only for just what you get as far as quality goes, do you see that, does that resonate more with uh, your customer base or do you do you see other benefits from that? Yeah, definitely. We, um, uh, first with the customer base, I, I have them come back to me all the time and, and tell me my pork chops, you know, eat, eat like a ribeye steak or something, or it, it reminds them of the pork they had that their grandpa raised type thing. Um, and then we, you know, but we kind of back it up because, like, we enter the carcass quality contest at the Missouri State Fair and and kind of show in there. Next year, I'm hoping to have a, a progeny pin with the Burke Association for my boar. 
um, you know, to get some, some numbers and hard data there too. So, but yeah, the, the definite ultimate to me is, is what the customer has to say about it. And so that's, that's been going good. So we're happy with that. Excellent. Well, how many, uh, how many hogs do y'all usually finish a year? Well, let's see the first year. I think I only did 15 or so. Our numbers have been slow because we did have other off farm jobs and just, uh, the two of us getting together, you know, kind of starting over from scratch. So the numbers, we haven't had real fast growth. Plus I've really, really, I call really hard. So we take it to show pigs. If a bloodline doesn't work or especially if she doesn't have the maternal traits, which I've really found that a lot of the show lines don't have because they don't know how to raise them outside of a crate. Mm. Um, so the first year, I think we, you know, we fattened and finished about 15 pigs and then about 30 last year and probably 40, 45 this year. And next year we're maybe looking, I'll be running just five sows. So I'm looking maybe 70, 80 hogs next year. Hmm, that's a good number. All right. So it's definitely been slow compared to some of the guys like my my buddy Brian Rogers down in Arkansas, I know he really jumped up in about the same time, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian is, uh, is, uh, taking it on. I don't, I don't know when he sleeps because he's taking, taking it <laughs> yeah, on like crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what I do either, but I know the feeling. So, but yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm a numbers guy, so I'm kind of slow and, and meticulous and, um, you know, it, it pays off for me. We've, we've done well with our dairy goats because of that stuff like that. And then, and we've done pretty good with the Burks too on the show side and in the meat side. So. Okay. Now, do you, uh, with all that uh, different livestock variety you have, are you, are you grazing all those separately? Do you have any overlap, any integration there? Well, we do, um, you know, try to do management intensive grazing. Um, so I run, I'll run the pigs in first on like a quarter acre paddock, let them kind of tear it up, root it up, and then I'll go back in and either plant some annuals or some perennial cover crops uh, to get some grazing for the dairy goats, trying to, to build some soil and stuff like that. So we we kind of go behind that. The Katahdin sheep are on a separate farm that I lease, um, so it's just the goats and, and pigs. Uh, and then the chicken tractors that we run in behind the goats or even in my front yard trying to have a decent yard to mow instead of mowing rocks. <laughs> I've done the same thing. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes like uh, my breeding bucks for the Nubians, they'll run with the pigs or I'll run some little feeder pigs with some some young goats or something like that. So they'll overlap a little bit, but other than that, we kind of keep things separate and Sows definitely stay separate. The feeders stay in a separate paddocks and, and rotate around. So, yeah. So, uh, how are you doing with with your feed? Are you using uh, a free choice feed? You ration? Uh, you supplement? Um, we I mix I hand mix all of. We're strictly non GMO, antibiotic free. Uh, the label claims that we make on our our USDA inspected meat. So we we go in and hand mix. 
our rations, so I can farm ready ration to, you know, weight class of pig and, and whatnot. And um, I I like to, it, it creates more chores for me, but I like to hand feed every day. Hmm. It keeps the pigs coming to me, keeps them gentle. Um, one reason we still show, because then all of my sows have been hand and, you know, the kids can go out and play with them because they're, they're, they're show pigs. So they kind of all know their name and come by their name and like being scratched and stuff. And, um, but even the feeders we hand feed cause it just keeps them coming to us and makes rotating them through the paddocks easier and, and kind of keeps them gentle for, for a low stress-free handling. Wow. Okay. So, so next year when you get to, uh, get to 80 hogs, what does hand feeding 80 hogs look like? Looks like I'm going to maybe fatten some and sell some feeders. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. We'll kind of cross that cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, I at my at my off farm job per se, I I hand feed about ten thousand chickens every day, pastured <laughs> chickens every day. So it it looks like lots of filling buckets with feed is what eighty pigs look like. But yeah. I'll I'll stagger them out through the year. We'll have a couple sows bred for show pigs. For the kids and then um kind of wait you know for some march and april litters and so they'll they'll kind of be staggered out through the year so yeah so uh, you had mentioned that uh the farm that you purchased had had some um maybe had a, a rough life prior to to you all getting it um explain that a little bit if you would in, in a little more detail and in, in the challenges that that you faced with uh yeah, the uh, the soil quality and the issues there. Well, it's it's twenty acres. Uh, I have three acres of open pasture. The house house and yard, if you will, sits on about oh two acres. So I've got about fifteen acres of strictly trees, uh, oak, hickory, you know, good mass type trees that obviously it takes like the stuff in the fall. Um, but the neighbor, the guy who owned it before, had rented it to the neighbor, and he was a big commercial cattle guy and not real well known for taking care of pastures. So stripped it to bare dirt. Even the trees had a browse line, you know, as high as the cows could reach. Mm, yeah. And then so I was fighting erosion problems, um, you know, stuff like that. So we... We rented it for a year, so I couldn't do much with it then. And then I went ahead and purchased the farm. And I kind of pulled the permaculture attitude, if you will. So I just sat back for a year, really two years since we rented it for a year. But uh, and just kind of watched it and followed its nuances and stuff and seen, you know, where I needed to do what with. So then this this last year we come in and really started the rotational grazing and planting some cover crops and you know turnips rye grass alfalfa um hairy veg stuff like that that would work both good for the pigs and the goats mm -hmm. help build the soil and and bring it back and it's really it's even within that year's time i've seen some improvements because i've got 
um, a lot of mushrooms coming back that I didn't even have the first two years. Oh yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing some seeing some life again. So we can go out and harvest some, uh, you know, some morels and some. Oh, the bright orange ones. The name slips me now. Like chanterelles. Yeah, chanterelles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so we're seeing a little stuff coming back, and it, it's it's kind of exciting to watch. So. Yeah, and and I assume with uh, since you're doing the rotational process with the uh, the multi uh, species there, you're getting uh, getting some good soil building as well as uh, as you rotate through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stop really stop the soil erosion and kind of develop a little bit of a spring. We kind of have a dry weather creek and a, but it's got a little bit of spring and now it's flowing a lot better now. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. Uh, that that's something that's always fascinated me is is looking at. Uh, regenerating some of these these dry areas uh, simply through soil quality, and just just holding holding the water on the property longer there. So mm-hmm. so being in the Ozarks, I assume your topography is pretty hilly. It is. We're um, being twenty acres. I'm not too extreme from one end to the other in elevation, but I do have a couple of good draws and like i said i do have one the one creek going through it but um but it prevents presents a little bit of challenges and in fencing and and runoff and whatnot right yeah i know what that's like yeah we we have uh we have similar topography here in west virginia and i always joke that uh my pigs have two legs longer than the other because everything's on a slope yeah (laughs) yeah definitely so, uh, so with that water, you know, now that you're getting that creek going and you have access to that, are, are you incorporating that water into your infrastructure? Do you do you do you well? Do you irrigate? How do you how do you take care of your pigs on your pasture? Well, our water right now is just is strictly well water. Um, like I said, the the creek is just kind of a real small dry weather creek with a real small spring in it, and I'm kind of trying to fence them out of it to keep it clean and till I can kind of get things growing back and it flowing a little better. Um, the one big challenge that we have is with our well water, it's extremely hard water. So to kind of help counteract that, I feed a lot of uh, apple cider vinegar to everything. Mm, yeah, okay. How are you uh, How are you dosing that? Are you just incorporating that into their, their water troughs? Or are you, you mixing it in feed? I've done a little bit of both. Um, I've kind of found that the water's a little bit easier to do it. I just go along and, you know, get a tote of, of it, of the apple cider vinegar, and then uh, when we fill the waters up, we just, you know, dump so many cups per gallon of water type thing. And and that's, that's just helped around with everything. And something else we've been doing that I've noticed a lot that, I don't see a lot of guys doing, especially the pigs. Is we, uh, it's it's kind of well known in the dairy goats, is we feed a lot of kelp, hmm. and I've been incorporating the kelp into my rations and and seeing a big difference in in the pigs too and their performance. So, so where, where are you seeing that show up? Is that health? Is that weight gain? Is that uh, you know other other benefits? Well, weight gain just and just general bloom if you will on them their hair coats are better they're shinier um a little bit 
you know, I haven't really, we, we just started that this year and with this new bloodline. So we're going to kind of see if it helps fertility any, hmm. uh, definitely doesn't. My dairy does with the extra minerals and whatnot of it, but, and it's also helped with, uh, I know a lot of guys are going to try to call me out on this, but it's helped with my parasite load. Okay. Help being kind of high in iodine. And if you look at the iodine on the, on the, uh, periodic table, it, it's kind of right in line with all those, and I'm drawing a blank here on them, but uh, I listened to another podcast with Dr. Paul up in Wisconsin. He's real big on tinctures and organics and works a lot with organic valley dairies, mm-hmm. and he, he can explain it better than I can, but um, so, yeah, we've, we've seen a lot, like I said, a lot uh Lower parasite loads in, in the pigs and the goats with with feeding that kelp. And, and of course, the rotational grazing helps and whatnot, too. And Yeah, so so with that kelp, is that is that something you're just buying in bulk from your uh, from your local feed mill? And, and as you said, you're mixing your own, so you're incorporating that in? Or is that something you have to specialty source? Yeah, no, it, uh, my local feed store has it, and, and they order it in for me in, you know, 50-pound bags and, I mix, it's no big secret, I mix about five pounds to a hundred pounds of feed, so yeah. um, just kind of as a general mineral mineral supplement, you know. And then I, then I have to ask, just because of curiosity, so you're, you're buying uh, apple cider vinegar and you, you said a totes, are those the 250, 275-gallon totes that you're buying at and that, that size? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, we... When we started off doing it, you know, we ran to Walmart or the local bulk store and was buying it in gallon jugs. And right. then one place had it in five-gallon jugs. And then I finally found it in, uh, like, 55-gallon drums or 250-gallon totes from from uh, a mineral supplier that I'm using for the goats. And they had it. And hmm. it's a lot cheaper to buy it that way. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And you probably have a lot of IBC totes laying around that you can use for other things. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that seems to be the homestead staple. Everybody has at least, have to have at least five of them, even if it's just outside for your garbage collection. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about your your sales. So obviously, you you, um, you know quite a quite a a variety of of protein you're selling there, but even the volume with your your pork and your your chickens and everything. Um, how did you get started with the retail side of that, and and explain the growth that you've experienced over the six years? Well, we've started, like I said, about three years ago is when we started really private labeling the meat. Um, at, at, a, at a local farmer's market. And it kind of fortunately for us, even though I'm smack dab in the middle of Missouri in a little podunk town, um, the farmer's market we sell at is at Lake of the Ozark, so it gets a lot of lake traffic, if you will, from Kansas City and St. Louis. Mm. So it we do pretty good there. That's what got the ball rolling. We did a couple other local farmer's markets they weren't as good for us, so we kind of kind of dropped out of them. But we have gotten into a couple of restaurants in St. Louis. Um, we have a health food store in a local town, oh, just east of us, that carries our pork and chicken. And we have another, 
it's it's kind of ironic. It's another little podunk, hole-in-the-wall town convenience store, but she sells a ton of pork for us because she's right beside a Missouri State Park where lots of campers come. Oh, yeah. Um, so she moves a lot of pork for us, and then we now have a website through, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, through Gray's Cart that mm-hmm. we use. And... Um, sell off of there quite a bit so so that's kind of our main where the main sales have come from okay so so how you with your sales uh, how are you handling distribution are you all trucking on a regular basis to these places or are they coming to pick up you mentioned st louis and and some of these other areas that's some distant ground to cover right we've got um well my connie is now staying staying home full-time to work on the farm and then she also makes um scones Hmm. that she supplies to about five coffee shops in the area okay so like once a week she delivers those and makes me deliveries and oh about every other week we go to st louis or kansas city um to make our deliveries there as needed so Okay, so so to handle this demand that you have, are are you all processing all at once, and then and then maintaining uh, frozen storage on farm? Are you doing rotational processing so you can you can uh, keep from housing as much on farm? Well, we do um, we do kind of a rotational processing where I'll take in three or four pigs at once, and then about four weeks later three or four more, um, sometimes more, sometimes five or six, just whatever's ready. Um, and then the first, the first batch will be ready. That meat will be ready to pick up. Um, so that way I can kind of kill two birds with one stone because our pro our USDA processor is about an hour and a half away, which isn't too bad. Um, and he, they handle the, the pork and the lamb and the goat that we, we do the chickens are actually done by a local Mennonite processor here. That's just 10 miles away. So that's really handy there. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do maintain cold storage in, in the next big town. That's about 30 minutes away. So we have cold storage there in those freezers. And then we, Oh, have a lot more freezers here at the house than my, fiance would like because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we kind of pull out of cold storage go into those freezers to you know go to the farmer's market or, or make order fill orders and whatnot so it's a little bit of both it'd be nice if we could get a walk-in freezer here or something and just do it all right here off farm to- i see yeah yeah do you see and again you don't have to get into specific numbers because i know it'll vary all across the country anyway but do you see that your cold storage is that really a uh, and ends to justify the means, or is it is it actually the the best route to go economically, right now? Well, it's it's really not bad. Um, it, you know, again, it's no big secret. I I pay thirty bucks a month and have two pallets worth of meat in there, so it, oh, wow. it's I don't think I could run, you know, that many freezers to store <laughs> that much meat for thirty bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, other than just having to make a trip during their business hours, which you know can be inconvenient sometimes, but yeah, that's not bad. Other I've, than that, it's, 
That's not bad. I've got an eight by eight walk-in that costs me about $150 a month in electricity to, to run, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think we've got, we've got the cold storage and then I've got seven freezers here at home. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not, well, um, I don't, I don't looking at your your process let's talk about your process for a little bit and, and just spend a little time talking about your your private labeling so uh, what all does that entail for you in missouri to to take that and get it private labeled is that just a simple request and they just slap a separate label on well since we we do have a lot of lake traffic um people that have lake houses they they actually come from illinois from iowa from kansas you know, out of state. So we go to the USDA and then of course USDA, if you make any label claims, you've got to do 14 hours of paperwork protocol <laughs> right. uh, for any claim you make. So, <clears throat> excuse me, like I said, we were hundred percent antibiotic free. Um, and then we also make a label claim of 100% Berkshire, which is another reason I don't register my feeders per se, but all my all my gilts are registered that we keep for breeding, and then of course the boars, and we do a lot of AI and stuff. So you know they, I can prove parentage on everything. Yeah. Uh, so we make that label claim. So you know, it, like I said, it. it required I had to sit down and write out my protocol if an animal did need doctored, if I had to give it antibiotics, what I did with it. And, um, you know, even all my feeders, even though they're not registered, they are ear notched per the Burke Association, you know, the standard ear notch system. So I can identify them. They get pulled out if I do have to treat something with antibiotics, which is pretty rare, but, um, then I'll either eat it or, you know, give it to my mom or something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, and uh, Merry Christmas, Mom. Right, exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah. um, but other than that, it wasn't too bad. Um, it's it just kind of keeping up with that then. And, and if you ever switch processors, you kind of got to go through the whole ordeal again. Mm -hmm. But then this one's been pretty good. You know, you your standard headache like you have with any processor occasionally. Right, um, yeah. But they're, they're real good. They really work with me. We, most all of our sausages use uh, organic seasonings and whatnot, no preservatives. I haven't gone, I'll be honest, I haven't gone the whole non-GMO verified yet. I just, that cost a lot of money and I just can't pencil it out and justify it. Yet. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. We're, we're kind of like Joel Salatin. We have an open door policy where they can come tour the farm anytime. And we have given several farm tours and I'll show them the feeds and I'll show them the labels where it's the feeds all non GMO certified. So I just felt like I didn't have to shell out the money to get that little label on, on my label. You right, know, that little stamp on my label. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's but, that's um, the thing. Like you say, weighing those costs uh, against the the benefit, and of course, that's you know, something that's going to have to be passed on to the customer. So it just drives prices up there. Right. Right. And we we try to keep our. I think I'm kind of on the low side of prices, really, um, compared to some of the guys I see. You know, they're 
but I, I try to do that by, by the pasture and, and mix my own rations to help keep feed costs down and whatnot. Mm. So, so uh, looking at your, looking at your web store with uh, the selection, so it looks like your, your processor offers a, a, a large variety of uh, finished cuts and a lot of value added cuts. Is that something they have always done or have you worked with them to be able to provide that? Or are you, are you having to go to other processors for some specifics there? No, they're they're really good about that. Um, I think seven, about 60-70% of their business is private labeling. Hmm. Um, anywhere from, you know, sheep, lamb, pigs, even bison. They they have a, a producer, I think he comes from Nebraska, trucks his bison all the way down here. Wow. Um, for private labeling and stuff. So they they offer lots of broths. Lots of different sausages. We did have one little issue where they quit using the organic seasoning mix that I used because the price got too high. And I said, I, I called them up and said, you know, hey, Glenn, what, what's the deal here? Well, that stuff got really expensive. And I'm like, I don't care. Will you buy it for me? And, you know, then it's exclusively mine. And you bet. So he, he took care of me and you know, bought that organic seasoning mix for my breakfast sausage and away we went. So, yeah, that, like you say, that's great to have that relationship with your processor and you'll work together to, to overcome. And, and, um, and as you build that relationship, he understands more of what you need and where you're coming from and vice versa. Right. Right. And, you know, and we, we'd have some odds and ends cuts that, you know, like our bacon's ends and pieces, um, you can sell them for seasoning and stuff so much for green beans and whatnot, but I, they, they kind of start piling up after a while. So we, I called him up and said, you know, what, what can we do with all this? Cause there's something else. And he, he's like, why don't you make a, a pork burger with, you know, bacon in it basically with kind of bacon bits, so to speak. So <laughs> I saw that on your website. Yeah. That was intriguing. Yeah. And it, it's gone over really good. It's, oh, I bet. Sounds delicious. It, it's kind of like a, yeah, bacon cheeseburger all ready to go. Just add the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. And it, and it gets rid of, you know, an odd an odd and end cut that's kind of hard to move, so. Yeah, so he just mixes that into his grind when he's when he's uh, processing your, your, your ground pork? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, um... What's you? I noticed you your your site. You're using Grace Cart uh, to to handle your online store and your your farm information there. Uh, so f- how long have you been using that? And and, and what's your experience with that? Is that uh, something you've been impressed with? We started. We're we're still kind of learning and figuring it all out. Um, we started that maybe maybe last winter sometime. Maybe just six seven months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely been kind of slow, you know, it, it just didn't, um, you know, explode and open the world to us like, like one might think. Um, we definitely found you still have to do your marketing and, and we follow a couple, we kind of follow their, their lead and, and Connie's getting ready to take their little business farm class that they have uh we follow charlotte smith she's another real good one that's on the marketing side of this you know farm to table stuff mm-hmm. so um but grace carts helped 
and just getting the biggest thing is just reminding people that it's there and, you know, getting them to go to it and order off of it instead of say Amazon or something now or Walmart or whatever, right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so does that help you when you do your, um, your farmer's market? Are you using, does it have a point of sale interface with it or is it just strictly for web sales? No, it, it does actually. Cause we've had, um, we've had a lot of our, our regulars at the farmer's market kind of go through it and start pre-ordering and then they just come pick up at the farmer's market to, you know, to ensure they get everything they want. Yeah. Cause, cause obviously like bacon's a big, a big hot seller and, and it's not pork related, but you know, chicken breast is another one. So that stuff normally sells out pretty fast at farmer's market. So if somebody can't get there till noon when we're about to close and I'm sold out of that, they can pre-order it and I set it aside and have it bagged up, ready to go. And, you know, a lot convenient and handier for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. All right. Well, Chris, um, looking ahead, what do you see? What are, what's your short-term and long-term goals? What uh, What do you see for Coyote Creek five years down the road? Well, hopefully build it up big enough for my new grandson that he's got something to go to when he grows up. There you go. <laughs> Legacy building. I like uh, it. Uh, well, like I mentioned before, I mean, the ultimate goal that I kind of had years ago was to build the creamery, and that that's definitely going to happen. But that even plays a part in with the pigs because the we do feed a lot of the goat milk to the show pigs and, and to the wiener pigs and stuff when we first wean them and help transition them. So, so the dairy and creamery is definitely in the works, and... I don't know where the expansion is going to go. Um, I'm just kind of taking it slow day by day and, you know, trying to make the best pork chop I can out there. So I, I can't say that we'll have a hundred thousand five years or we'll still only have five or 10, but All right. All right. definitely, you know, hope to get where, where both of us can stay home completely here. And, uh, don't have the off farm jobs and, and then maybe even, you know, bring in one of our kids or something once they get out of school and, and pass it on to them. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that, uh, vision looking that far ahead and, and just seeing what the potential, uh, the, you know, the possibilities are as, as it grows. Well, all right. Well, um, Chris, one question I ask everyone on the podcast and, uh, you'll be no different is, uh, what is your best experience or your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Well, I, you know, I guess pigs being honest when I, when I was cowboying out on the ranches, pigs always had a bad rap and, you know, they had this stereotype that they were dirty, dumb, stinky animals. And now that I'm out here with them, raising them on pasture, I can see where they're, they're not, they're very smart. They're a tool and that tool used properly can, can really rebuild this ground quick. So it's just every day I learn something new from them. I enjoy them watching what they're helping me with the land and rebuilding it. And, you know, and then 
laying down, even laying down in the barn. Um, if you've been on my Facebook page, there's a video of me laying down in the barn with the show pigs climbing all over the top of me. You know, they're just, <laughs> right. they're so much fun to play with and, yeah. and stuff. So just every, everything really about them, I just, is all good. <laughs> very good. Yeah, I agree. They're, they're uh, just incredible animals. Uh, very smart. Uh, a lot of personality, fun to interact with. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if, if anybody wants to learn more about your farm operation, uh, where can they find you online? Well, we're on, on Facebook at Coyote Creek Ranch. Uh, we're on Instagram. Same thing there. And then our, our graze cart website, like you said. We're going to take that and hopefully integrate it where it's more of a, a farm website with our, you know, our boar stud and, and our our bloodlines and the dairy goat bloodlines and stuff like that as well um and instead of just a, a shopping cart type website but yeah. uh but it's a start anyhow so they can find the three of us there or, you know they're always more than welcome to like i said come out and tour the farm and see what we do and milk goats and play with baby pigs so awesome well good deal well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me tonight. I enjoyed our conversation, and I uh, uh, pray you have a good week on the farm. Sounds good. You too. All right. Well, take care. All right. Well, I hope uh, everybody appreciated that. And, and if you want to know more about Chris and what he's got going on at Coyote Creek Ranch, uh, I'll uh, post details in the show notes, and you all can check that out. Well, I pray everyone has a great week out in the pasture and uh, you don't get covered up with all the snow we're supposed to get, <laughs> those of you in, in the northern climates. All right, take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 